Athletic. Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh and welcome to the Football Manager Show, sponsored by LiveScore. On the show today, that data hub, eh? Pretty impressive stuff. What does it all actually mean? How can you use it to, you know, make yourself better at FM? We're talking to Elliot Stapley, Sports Interactive's own Charles Babbage, about the numbers game. We're also speaking to a man whose exploits on Football Manager were so impressive that he landed himself a job at a Premier League football club. And in more than a score with live score, we're off to Argentina with one of the pillars of the FM community. For all of that, let's do a little bit of housekeeping. We've had so many new listeners over the last couple of weeks, so uh, welcome new people. Welcome to our safe, friendly football manager space for people who aren't actually that good at football manager and are trying to get better. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe. Because you might, might not always be on Twitter when, you know, I announce that a new episode's there. Uh, if you subscribe, it'll just bounce straight into your device of choice. And if you really like it, why not leave a review? Because every time you leave a positive review, it does something uncanny to the algorithms, particularly on the Apple Podcast Store. It sends us flying up the charts. Now, we have put a nail in the coffin of the Royal Horticultural Society in their podcast, but we need more nails. We've got to get those bastards down and keep keep them down so leave us a review today and and that should do the job because they are bang out of order bang out of order right let's go to happier stuff elliot stapley welcome hey uh, good to speak to you you don't know anyone at the royal horticultural society do you i'm not sure i do i think my nana maybe maybe does something to do with plants but i think it's cute gardens rather than royal horticultural society well that's all right can't complain about Kew Gardens, they're fine for those bastards. Um, <laughs> Elliot, you've been on the show once already before, but for anyone who hasn't heard your dulcet tones, what exactly do you do all day? So I'm a software engineer and I work on the match team. So my main responsibilities are working on things to do with data, output from the match engine, all the player stats, the team stats, how we interpret them, um, and turn them into useful information for you guys. Now, I don't know if this ever comes across, but I'm a middle-aged man who has been gradually left behind by the ever-increasing pace of the modern world. If I was in any way connected with real football, I would consider myself a proper football man. And data's always kind of left me a little bit cold. So I haven't really used the data hub that much. I mean, I've, I've used it in, in that I've gone into it and gone, cool, that's pretty impressive. I haven't really got into it in a level that I feel is benefiting me. So first of all, if you ignore the data hub completely, will the game penalise you in any way? I don't think so. I'd say the only thing is that it'll be a little bit harder for you to figure out maybe what's going wrong and what's going right with your team. There's no real kind of requirement to be using it. It's just additional information for the user that may or may not make them a better manager. Now, in order to get that information, you've got to hire people within mm-hmm. the game. What sort of people do you want and how many do you need and, and what benefits do you get out of them? So we've added a bit of a mechanic this year. Previously, when you had your analysts, it wasn't too clear what they were up to and the kind of relevance that they had. Uh, this time, when you're in your data hub, there's a, a concept at the top that gives you kind of a bar indicating the extent to which your analysis is advanced or basic or intermediate. And you can see as you hire better quality analysts, that bar is going to go up and the information that you receive from your analysts is going to be more detailed because of that. 
So let's go through it from the beginning. When you when you start a game, you, the the data hub's not there, is it? Only comes in after three league matches. Exactly, yeah, and that's simply because we don't want to show you any information that might be anomalous or outlying. Because game week one, a centre half could score two goals, but if you showed a graph of goals per ninety against assists per ninety, and it had a centre half at the top, and it had just them, it's not too useful information for you. So building that three game margin in basically means that. The information you're getting is of some statistical significance and you can learn a little bit more from it. What are the first things you should be looking for when you've got your three games under your belt? I'd say it really depends on how you're setting up your team. So if you are, for instance, a pressing team, maybe you'd be interested in your kind of pressure numbers. So it's quite easy for you to look at information like where you win the ball back on the pitch, where you lose the ball with the zone map information. That could give you some good information as to whether or not you are winning the ball higher up or not. If you're a team that's based all around possession, then your pass map information could be pretty crucial. So you can see whether you're forming these passing triangles that you want. You can see whether you're spreading the pitch in the way that you want, whether your centre-halves are passing to your central midfielders in the way that you want. There's other scenarios as well. Maybe if you're a a shot-focused team and you're not too interested about how the ball gets there, you could do stuff like look at your shot maps. You can see if you're shooting from range and if they are, maybe change your shoot on site or work ball into box instructions. If you're all focused on your crossing, you can look into your crossing numbers. So it's kind of one for you to dig into yourself. The game will present you information that we think is useful for you, but it's really one for the manager to be able to say, okay, well, I think this information might be useful to me and then dig into it. It's extraordinary, really, isn't it? Because it's the game creates the data and the game is 100% accurate on what that data is because it belongs to the game. You basically have everything that happens in every match at your fingertips. Exactly, yeah. And that's pretty valuable for us from a analysing the data that comes out of the match engine perspective because we want to make the match engine as accurate a simulation of football as we can. And being able to have such detailed data means that we can compare against real life information we can see how things are working out in ways that we're expecting them to basically so yeah it's a huge benefit for us and it means that the user can see potentially a lot more information than they can see about real life football in a lot of cases you can get a sort of early read on things about to go wrong can't you for example my newcastle safe which is definitely going wrong i was able to see from the data that we were outperforming what we should really be doing we were giving up lots and lots of xg and not really being punished at the beginning so i guess that's one of the strengths isn't it yeah exactly that kind of long-term forecasting of your qualities and your position is potentially more useful than the amount of information that you get from watching highlights that's really what we wanted to communicate with a lot of this because unless you're watching the game in full match you're going to miss things that happen and you're certainly not watching your rivals games in full match and every other team in the league's matches in full match so being able to just see these kind of overarching reduced graphics that give you quick information like xg over performance for all the teams in the league means that you get a much better view of the overall picture of how your team and how everyone else's team is doing now everyone will have seen that octagon that looks a bit like a badly baked pizza that reflects your sort of general performance and team attacking, team defending. For anyone who's left a little flummoxed by that, what's what's the best way to, to understand the, the information you're getting? I'd say they're probably, outside of the key finding system, the best way of getting into the data initially. So outside of the information that you get in your inbox, you know, when you play a match and it says like, oh, okay, well, your passes look like this, your XG look like this. The next stage up, I'd say, is those performance polygons, which give you kind of an overarching view of 
how well your team is performing in a bunch of metrics that we think are quite important. So maybe if you look at the general performance one, you could see stuff like your XG numbers, your goal numbers. You can maybe see your pass completion numbers. If you look at a defending one, you can maybe see stuff to do with tackles. And basically what it does is, in a similar way to, I think they're called pizza charts now, it basically shows your performance relative to the average in the league. So if you sit on the outside of the polygon, you're performing better than average. If you sit on the inside of the polygon, you're performing worse than average. And it just gives you a quick overarching view of, okay, well, my numbers are this amount better than everyone else's. If I had a team, again, it's Newcastle, that are just giving up loads and loads of chances, I mean, in their last three games, and I'm indebted to someone who commented underneath the article for this, in the last three games, Newcastle have had 71 shots against them. That's a very clear issue that I need to get into and figure out. How would I best use the Data Hub to solve this problem? So from that information, it probably depends on what you think is leading to those shots or you can check against them. So you could maybe look at your defender's aerial completion rate. It might be that you're conceding a lot of headers and that's adding up to the shots because your defenders aren't good enough in the air. It could be that you can look at the some information we track based on assist and goal location. So you can see literally where on the pitch the assists against you and the goals against you are coming from. It might be that there's a huge number of assists coming from, say, your right flank. And that's because your right back or right wing back in this scenario is playing two attacking or vacating their position and you're getting crosses coming in from there or you're getting runs in behind coming from there so that positional information i think could be quite useful for diagnosing why you're conceding goals it could be that even if you just look at your defending performance polygon you look at it and it's like okay well my my tackle completion is really down why is that it might be because you're playing defenders who aren't good enough in the tackle or a midfield that's too progressive and not kind of combative enough and then they're not making their tackles passes are coming through players are getting shots away so it's usually about thinking one step behind where the shots are coming from and then you can view the relevant information quite easily in the data hub from there find the effect and then you'll find the cause exactly yeah there was just a bit of a pause there while we both weighed up whether or not that made any sense at all. But let's just let's just roll with it and let, let, let's say that it, it did. So one of the questions that we get quite a lot from football manager players is is the opposition reports. It comes in about two days before the game and I think quite a lot of people just sort of click continue and bounce past it without really looking, which I'm going to say is probably a mistake. What information can you get from those opposition reports and how do you find it? So the way we've built up the opposition reports this year is to try and replicate the experience you get with the data hub as much as possible. So if you have a particular set of things that you think are really valuable, which will obviously only happen over time, as we've been talking today about the kind of bits and pieces that you might want to be looking at in the data hub, if you want to look at them for your team, then you probably want to look at them for other teams too. So you get your opposition report through in your inbox and it gives you the set of key findings. So the bits of important information that you need for what we think is going on with the team. It might be that they've vastly overperformed their XG in their last match. and Maybe they're less of a threat than they seem like they are. Maybe they're just on a hot streak. It might be that some of their players are particularly high on tackling numbers and maybe you need to think about, okay, well, my techie wingers are going to get back today. So maybe I'll approach it in a different way or maybe play through them rather than dribbling past them. And... There's a sub-tab in the data hub that is an opposition data hub in effect. And once you set up your team metrics, so the place where you can visualize all the different ways that your team are doing things, whether you want to look at crossing, whether you want to look at tackling, shooting, it then automatically sets it up the same manner for your opposition. 
So you can dig through there and you can analyse your opposition in the exact same way that you analyse your team. So you can see things they're good at, you can see things they're poor at, and you can maybe look for ways to exploit them. So it might be that, again, I come back to crossing, but say you look at a graph and their aerial win percentage is really, really low relative to the team average. You think, okay, well, I'll put, let's float crosses on today and play a big striker instead of my quick one. Or it might be that they're particularly poor in the tackle, so you play some more dribbly players, or it might be... Um, that they've been conceding from particular positions or not shooting from particular positions and maybe you can put players there or remove players from those positions. So a lot of it comes down to the extent to which you want to analyse it and your familiarity with how you analyse your own team and then that feeds into how you're going to look at other teams as well, I think. So there's a lot of useful information there but it takes a little bit of time for you to dig into it and be almost able to be able to take the value from it, I think. All right, there's a lot to be getting in there. I'm having a, a total reboot with Newcastle. I mean, I'm expecting somewhere in that data, the conclusion that will be drawn is that almost all of my players are incompetent and need to be just <laughs> melted for glue as soon as possible. But uh, data can only do so much, of course. That is Elliot Stapley. Elliot, thank you so much for coming on the show. No worries. Thank you for having me again. If you like that Elliot Stapley chat about data, you'll love The Athletic. Uh, loads of stuff on there for intelligent football fans, very much like yourself. Now I've mentioned on every single show we've done about people like George Culkin and Danny Taylor and Amy Lawrence, great, great writers. Never really spoken about the data. Here's a gauge of how good it is. We had Tom Warville working for us, and he was so good that the real-life Red Bull Leipzig signed him up as a data analyst and onto their recruitment team. That's the level we're batting at here. Tom has gone. He's been replaced by John Muller. And if you are an Athletic subscriber, and you really, really should be, you can read his work now. He's done some fantastic stuff talking about whether or not Manchester United even need a manager. Tongue-in-cheek, of course, but the data in it was genuinely fascinating, even for an old man like myself. So if that sounds like your cup of tea, get yourself to theathletic.com forward slash fmpod, because listening to this show entitles you to a little VIP membership offer. Go and check that out and, and do it today because I mean it's brilliant it's more than a score it's live score so what's all this about then well with live score which I'm certain you've all downloaded for free from the App Store or Google Play you get the latest action stats and analysis from around the world because we know with football it goes beyond scores it's the stories from the pitch and the stands, players and fans all spinning their own strands of the mighty football web that links us all together. And there's no better way to twang that web than by playing Football Manager. So yeah, essentially this is a guide to exciting new saves. And where's more exciting than the capital city of the current Copper America Campeones, Argentina? Hello Rocks and FM. Hello Ian, great to be here. It's wonderful to have you. Your real name isn't Roxanne FM, is it? No, it's not. It's Fernando, actually. Fernando, welcome to the show. So where would we have seen you? I mean, if you are a long-term listener to the Football Manager show, and thank you very much if you are, we'll have seen your work because you were, I think, the first winner of the Community Challenge, weren't you? Yes, I was. Does that make me uh, an acquaintance of the show? Like, can I count this as the second appearance? Absolutely. Then we'll, then we'll get you your own key. <laughs> yeah, only one missing. Uh, yeah, you have seen my work at my blog, rocksandfm at wordpress.com, which is where I upload all of my saves and experiments and tactics and history and whatever. 
It's fantastic stuff. Definitely go and have a look. I have to confess, I have never managed, not just in Argentina, but in South America. I very rarely even have the, the league switched on. So so what am I missing? Why, why is it great to manage in Argentina in the first place? Well, it's, uh, it's such a different experience to anything else you can find in FM, particularly in Europe. For certain, you have wonky league formats. In Argentina or in South America, you have like average points totals, which determine relegation. So maybe sometimes you have a, a terrible season, but if you are doing well, you don't get relegated. You have all sorts of different formats. Um, most often you have two leagues within one season. You have the Apertura and the Clausura, which can have different names depending on where you are and when you are playing which basically is like you have the two seasons of uh, the two half of the season split into two and you have two champions and sometimes those two champions play each other at the end to decide the true champion like in Uruguay or sometimes they don't and you have like two champions in the season uh, like it used to be here and then you have you know so many weird and wonderful teams you have the the altitude factor in the Andes so it's it's a mess <laughs> So there's a there's a lot going on, a, a lot to pick up. But which club specifically would you recommend? Well, there's a lot to pick. The one I talked to you about in on Twitter was Ferro from from Buenos Aires. Of course, it's Argentina. It's the, my hometown. It's a very lovable underdog Ferro. It's um, a club that has been was relegated in the in 2000, I think, or 2001. So it's been in the second tier for for well twenty years now. It's right about to to get promoted. It's they're they're playing the playoffs. What will be the playoffs in the championship? But they have such a lovely story. They are a club that was founded by the uh, railway workers. The name of the club is Ferrocarril Oeste, which is literally like Western Railways. They are a bit of an underdog in the Buenos Aires football sphere. You know, you have the big clubs like Boca River, uh, Independiente. And Ferro was always like a second field to those clubs. They dress in these wonderful green kits, which could be inspired by uh, some Irish communities in, in the, their, their neighborhood. They have a, a very curious story and they have always been, you know, that the, the perfect underdog to those very big sides. They only have one, like two or three leagues in their whole story. 100-year-old story, a bit more. Actually, I think it's 1904 they were formed. If we have anything like a sleeping giant in Argentina, it's, it's them. I was going to say, they, they had some success in the 80s, didn't they? Won a couple of titles then, but now very much in the second division. I'm trying to think of what a, an English equivalent would be, possibly somewhere between a Nottingham Forest and an Aston Villa. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I mean, and these titles you talked about, the, the one that's in the 80s, the first one was won undefeated. They won the league undefeated. And the second one, well, they didn't win it undefeated, but it was also a very big achievement. And they did both under a uh, um, very iconic manager, Carlos Tiboteo Rigol, who you could, like I uh, can say on Twitter, you can think of as a sort of Sir Bobby Robson kind of figure, very much a man-manager, young player, developer, someone who cared about their players well above what they did on the pitch. They wanted to, to develop them, not just as, as players, but as, a, as a human beings, as, as young people, very much a a, 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 a coach who was like questioning the press because he was sort of defensive, maybe a bit pragmatic. He was just doing what he had with the players he had and he managed to get the, these great Ferro teams winning. So it's when you go against the big guys here in Argentina, it's not always well received, but he managed to earn the love of the people and he was very much a lovable character. So if you're taking over Ferro, um, you're looking at 
quite a rebuilding job, though there is the capacity to grow. What would be your tips for anyone who's uh, attempting this challenge? Well, first you have to get out of the Primera Nacional, which is the second division. So there you have quite a bit of challenge because it's carnage down there. It's it's a really competitive league. You have a lot, lot of teams that are just around the, the promotion of possibilities. So I look to, to try to develop the youth. Ferro has a, a, a good youth development. It's, it's a multi-sport club, so you have a lot of community involvement and that in the FM is reproduced in the capability to create young players. I also look to, to try to get some low needs from the, the top division. So many clubs that produce great unions in Argentina. So maybe try to get some low needs from Boca, from River, from Belezarfield, which might be tricky because they're actually the, the derby rivals. And I try to get to get pragmatic. It's a long season, uh, and, the, and and if you don't quite make it, you also have to win the, the playoffs. So try to be pragmatic, try to play simple football and get promoted. And once you get into the, the Primera División, you have to hit the ground running because on the first season, there's no relegations in Argentina this, in this FM, but after that, you have some. And you have the average points table to determine relegations, meaning that every other club is going to have, well, unless they're recently promoted, they're going to have two seasons of experience, so of accumulated points. So you have to hit the ground running because what something that happens is clubs get promoted, they don't, go, they don't get a, a great first season, and they get screwed over the average points. So you have to hit the ground running and, and, and go from there. So if I turn up in Buenos Aires and I'm looking for a, looking for a meal that really, that really captures the city, what, what am I looking for? What should I go and eat? Well, the traditional Argentinian meal is, is the asado. It's a barbecue, basically, but it's quite different to the ones you have over there. They, they say we don't leave any part of the, of the cow uneaten. <laughs> you can have like, regular steak, asado, and it, it'll be fine. But we have so many, I mean, we have a huge gastronomic uh, culture because we have so many immigration from so many places that we have like iconic pizzerias, that's pizza houses, we have Japanese food, we have Mexican food, we have Peruvian food, Venezuelan food, yeah, we have every sort of food. Okay, we're, we're, we're going to have to wrap this up, I'm getting hungry. Um, <laughs> so big, big steak, bottle of Malbec, and that's a night out in Argentina. After that, we'll go and take Club Ferro back to the top fernando thank you so much tell me again where can i find your stuff you can find me on twitter at roxandfm and on, on my blog roxandfm.wordpress.com absolutely brilliant that was it's more than a score with live score you can get real-time updates and results match highlights and breaking news from around the football world on the live score app and it's completely free just search for it on the app store or google play now Okay, so I know that loads and loads and loads of you listening are just like me and you will have spent huge swathes of days thinking what it would be like to actually get paid for playing football manager. I can tell you from first-hand experience of the, the Newcastle save that it's frequently demoralising and upsetting when there's no hiding place and you just can't run away. But it's not like that for everybody. Um, so many people have managed to find a way of actually earning money out of this ridiculous addiction. And one of them joins me on the line right now. It's Richard Clayton, better known as Clates. Richard, welcome to the show. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been signed by Wolverhampton Wanderers in a football manager capacity. I have, yeah. It's still a madness. I still can't, can't quite get my head around it, but yes. What's happened? I mean, I presume it's not to sit in the dugout. 
No, not yet. Although we can, we can hope, can't we? I think that's the dream of every football manager player: get actually out there. Yeah, I mean, technically, you must be in the line of succession now. You, you know, you'll need quite a lot of people to leave, I'd imagine. But I think there's a chance. I, I am on the list. I think that is official. So, yeah. So, so what's going on? What are you doing for him? So I've started doing some Football Manager content on their YouTube channel, doing a lot of simulations. And I think really they just saw a few of the videos that I was doing and thought, we'll have a bit of that, really. They've, they've wanted to do Football Manager stuff. They've done a bit of FPL things as well. And so, yeah, I got asked and I've started doing some Football Manager videos for them. How did this happen? What what kind of videos were you doing? And and if you listen very carefully, you'll hear tens of thousands of people scribbling down notes. <laughs> so I've so generally I've done a football manager channel now for a couple of years. I stream on Twitch and and all of that stuff as well. You know the life. I'm not sure exactly why they've chosen me, but it's quite nice that they have. But I do sort of simulation videos where we just see how football manager sees the world and how it would predict things to happen and I think that fitted in with what the type of videos that they wanted to do a bit of fun light-hearted nothing too tactically serious or anything like that so I've done a few of those so things like giving like seeing how Newcastle do with their new takeover that type of uh, thing uh, um, yeah not yeah. not good in my case not good yeah. at all <laughs> so it's not just Wolverhampton Wanderers stuff no so eventually I think they want to sort of move away from just the Wolves things but right now I think as you're introducing getting used to working with them I think we're going to focus on Wolves a little bit but eventually I think they just want to just wanted to be involved with Football Manager I think the people behind the scenes really like the game and wanted to see what they could do with that on their YouTube so what happened who made the approach and how did they do it did it sort of pop up in your YouTube comments and you just thought that can't be real (laughs) not quite not quite so there's there's a few really good guys there so the guy that I've liaised with most is called Rob he's um he's, he's part of the the social team and um He's a big football manager fan. We, we chat about all the different videos that have come out that week and we sort of make a bit of a plan of what we can produce together. Yeah, I think I was first, the, they've got a big esports thing. Wolves are quite, quite enterprising and forward thinking at the moment with lots of the things that they're doing. They've had like skins in Fortnite and things like that. So I was speaking to the esports guy for a while at Wolves and then that kind of stopped because we wanted to get some stuff going, but it was sort of the end of FM21. So that kind of went quiet for a bit. And then, then Rob came came through and asked me about doing it on the main channel. And I was like, do you know what? Yes, that, that sounds great. <laughs> so, so how much stuff are you going to be doing for them? So I think we're going to do weekly videos um, for now. We're just kind of seeing how it goes. But we've said, let's start with about 12 or so videos. And we'll do them weekly and just see where it goes, really. If it's popular and we want to continue, we'll continue from there. Is it only a matter of time before you take on a Wolves career um, and try and show them how it's done? Or is that is that kind of a boaten? Are they like, you know, the, the, the new guy's doing just fine right now. Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm not sure. So I think we've, we've kind of, that was that's a big question as well. Should we do like a Let's Play series with Wolves? I think they wanted to keep it quite lighthearted and, uh, and, and clickable, really, I think, with the videos to start with. So we're going to do these simulations. But I think the idea is also maybe look at getting people to send me their wolf saves we'll sort of analyze them go through them Ooh, and that's uh, a good yeah idea. yeah and then there's a few really good ideas that i think could be really fun content that we can do and in your capacity as i mean you are basically a professional football manager manager now aren't you that does sound weird but yeah <laughs> <laughs> but in your in your capacity as uh, as a successful youtuber uh, there'll be loads of people who are listening who make their own stuff or, or who just want to make their own stuff What's the best way to do it, do it well and, and get noticed? Oh, that's tough because it's, I mean, I'm still really early on my journey as well, I'd say. I mean, I'm on about 
9,000 subscribers. So there's a long way to go yet for me. So when you say that, that's I'm kind of thinking that's still me. But I think it's just a bit of consistency, but also don't expect too much at the start, I think is a big one for people who are just starting out. Don't expect people to watch your videos at the start because there's a lot of people doing it and doing it really well. And you've just got to work at it and, and keep at it and improve and look at what you're doing and see what you can do better and not expect the world right at the beginning because I don't think that's ever going to happen in, in any type of anything really in life. I was going to say, that's just good advice for any walk of life, isn't it? Yeah. Where can we see your own stuff and where will we find the wolf stuff? So it's just Clates on YouTube and on Twitch as well. And then the wolf stuff is on the wolf's channel, which is wolves YouTube. That's easy enough. No one can mess up finding that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Richard Clayton, also known as Clates. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's time for your letters. You know how to contact me. I'm Macintosh at theathletic.com or just come find me on Twitter. Producer Steve, hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Just a little window into the sort of peeking behind the magician's curtain for the listeners there. That was our fifth attempt at trying to start this section, I think. So. Yeah, so many attempts at trying to uh, say my Twitter address and uh, I just gave up. It's Ian underscore games, by the way. See, it comes out fine when we're just when we're ad-libbing. Uh, but trying to read that out for some reason presented me with a, uh, a mental quagmire from which I could not escape. It's been a strange kind of period here in Casa Macintosh because we've got some COVID in the house. I Yeah, so there's going to be a lot of working from home now as everybody isolates. So if you are listening to this show and you're like, why does it sound sort of echoey? It's because uh, you're in my front room. Well, I mean, te <laughs> technically you're in the map room where my drinks map globe. room? I've got this fascination for ancient maps of London. So I've got this, uh, the back end of the living room's got loads of maps on the walls and old books and a drinks globe because basically I'm a 68-year-old conservative MP. <laughs> <laughs> this is a conversation we we'll have to have in real life as well because I also adore ancient maps. Who who doesn't love a map? Um, but yes, if you're if you're wondering why it sounds a bit different, it's being recorded from home and probably will be for the next couple of episodes at least. There'll also be a slight interruption to your uh, gaming content service over on the Athletic. <laughs> Just going to be a little break between Newcastle episodes as uh, as we get round this unexpected bump in the road, but. We've got some great letters, haven't we? We absolutely do. And the first one we're going to pull out of the bag today comes from Sam Kemp, bringing unequivocal support for Joe Devine in oh. not using your real name in the game. Now, yeah. for context for people who didn't listen to last week's episode, Joe, a man of strong opinions, I think it's fair to say. And one of those strong opinions is not using your real name in Football Manager. He, of course, plays the character Dr. Richter on his Man United save. But Sam continues to support that and says, look, it's a fictional world. Why not create a fictional character for yourself? So my current manager is moustache-twirling vaudeville villain Maxime Remington Hotchkiss. Nice. Good name, that, you have to say. Love the use of the English language overall. So if Maxime Remington Hotchkiss is angry at a result, he challenges the opposition manager or the journalists to a duel with flintlock pistols in opposing hot air balloons. It's the only way to get your message across sometimes. Absolutely, and um, this is not Sam's first character creation. Previous editions have had Striker Rathclaw, nice. 90s action hero, and Lugash, who's based on Lisa Simpson's gymnastics instructor in the episode Children of a Lesser Clod. I can only tip my cap to Sam Kemp. I'm, I'm kind of tempted myself now. It, it's a funny one. It, it proved quite divisive. We did have a couple of notes expressing support to Joe Devine and, and a couple of people who were 
it's sort of left in that position where you can do a smile politely and move on. But uh, but Joe, <laughs> Joe's used to that, in fairness. He's, he's used to it. Uh, who else have we got? Jack Ellis has written in. They say, long-time listener, first-time caller here. Lovely to hear from you, Jack. And he has a bit of a mini dilemma for us. He says, I started a save on FM22 as RB Salzburg off the back of a, an athletic article that he read. And I dominated in my first season winning the Austrian Bundesliga Cup and to my amazement, the Europa League. However, despite my relative success, my best players are being poached away, not to European giants, which would be understandable, but to mid slash lower table Premier League teams because of the better standard of league. Aside from throwing a load of money in wages at them, is there a way for me to try and keep them in Austria? I mean, short answer, no, not really, um, because it, it is unfortunately an accurate representation of, of the way European football is now. Gone are the days where teams would appear from nowhere and uh, rise up and challenge for European trophies because, you know, that's not how it works. It's very much the Sadio Mane syndrome, who hmm. uh, I think came from Austria to Southampton, who were certainly not considered one of the challengers for the Premier League title. The best thing you can do to try and slow the process down is get them on longer contracts, get them on better contracts uh, as well. See if you can throw in big rewards for success because it sounds like you, you've had a lot of that. Make sure that they know how important they are, that they're the key players in the squad. Uh, but apart from that, because I had this problem with Marseille in FM21, after a while, you just sort of have to accept that that's the way the world works. So get them on long-term contracts, get a good price and keep finding people to replace them. I, I wish there was a better answer, but that's modern football. Absolutely. And on that really positive note, we'll go to our final letter, um, which is from Gareth Richards. They say, um, long-time fan and fellow stalwart of nearly 30 years of playing this damn game. Good man. And he wants to talk about this. I pre-ordered FN22 this year and downloaded the beta version of the game, which is something I don't usually do. My plan for FN22 proper was to start a lower league management game in England. However, on the beta, I loaded up my favourite foreign league, which is Italy, and set about a casual game with Parma to get myself used to the new features. I had a fantastic season winning Serie B and set about establishing Parma in Serie A, which I duly did before Verona, that's Hellas Verona of course, came calling which is my spiritual home from FM 2012, which is a long story, including new gens that became like sons for him. And then the proper game itself launched. Now, I just can't get into a real save on FM 22. I've spent hours staring at the screen, trying to find inspiration. And yet I find myself yearning for Verona and my Italy save. My question is twofold. Should I continue my beta save? And if I do continue, are there any drawbacks such as features or gameplay wise from doing this, from staying on the beta? Will I be missing out on anything? All right. Well, first of all, Gareth, I feel your pain because I am a historic starter and stopper where you'd search around desperately trying to find the save, the one that you play for months and months and months. I know how hard it is to get into it and get it to the point where you can't walk down the aisle in a supermarket without thinking about who your next left back's going to be. Um, <laughs> so totally understand that. Um, when you find it, seize it, cling on to it, never let it go. The good news is that, yeah, you can continue that beta save. What happens, in very rare occasions, there can be bugs, but I don't think there are from the, the beta version to the present version. I think it works absolutely fine. Um, what changes is largely the, the match engine around you. So I think there's a, there's a new update on its way 
at some point in the not too distant future. The only problem you'll have is that you might find that certain tactics that worked really well will suddenly stop working because the match engine's changed. But the the core of the game itself is fine. You can you can keep going. You can start that thing in a beta and just roll it on until um, FM23 comes out. Just watch out for things like that because as long-term listeners may remember, I was absolutely cleaning up on long throws on FM21 and then they came and ruined it all for me. Um, so yeah, carry on. Carry on with Verona and uh, love every second of it. Those were our letters. If you want to send me something, send me anything. It doesn't doesn't even have to be about Football Manager. I'm housebound now. I'll enjoy just having new things to look at. You can contact me, imacintosh at theathletic.com or on Twitter at Ian underscore games. Ben, also known as Dr. Benji from YouTube, what else do you play? When I eventually drag myself away from Football Manager, it's a game called Cities Skylines. The open world city building simulation where you can control the, the, the city laws, you get to build out from scratch, level up your city, you're able to offer your citizens different public transports and public service options. But the general idea is to create a metropolis and have a fully functioning economy. Graphically, it's like, it looks stunning. It shouldn't look as good as it is for a city building game. But the amount of community-based mods partnered with the vast array of DLC that comes out, it gives you quite endless possibilities in terms of building cities. You can build from something oil-based to something eco-friendly. There's also the possibility to build football stadia and have intercity matches, which gives you quite a few difficult traffic problems to solve. But it can, be, it can be quite exciting building different tube stations and different bus services. But the game's always on the Steam sale as well. It's always under a tenner. It's well worth it. For the management-based friends that I'm pretty sure listen to this, it's a nice change of pace from FM, where you still get to be able to use the management skills you've been honing for over a decade in this game as well. So it works really well. I think the first hour or two, you realise that you have to deal with the electricity and the water systems and that could be a little bit tricky to understand. But when you realise that all the houses and buildings link to one another, then it becomes a far simpler game. So once you get first that little teething period, it's, yeah, it's fine. Citizens don't offer in transfer requests either, so that makes it even more enjoyable. But no, it's a very laid-back game. It's a time sink, much like many games we play, it seems. You could go through hours and not be that far into it, but also have had the best time ever. So it's, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Build your own city with a budget and make it whatever you want it to be. And that was the Football Manager Show sponsored by LiveScore. Your guests were Elliot Stapley of Sports Interactive, Neil Clates from Wolverhampton Wanderers, Dr. Benji off YouTube. Your producer was Steve Hankey, and I am not allowed out for 10 days. <laughs>